Hey guys, how's it going? All right, thanks for, thanks for uh, coming out today. Let's uh, just give a hand to all of our first time guests and those joining us online. We're so glad that you all came out. And for the rest of you, thanks for coming back. Uh, we're gonna have a good morning. My name is Joel. I oversee all the small groups here at True Life. How many of you guys are in a small group this semester? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you, more of you need to be in small groups. That's why I did that, to just embarrass all of you. So small groups are, are, are the lifeblood of our church, and they're, they're growing, and they're really exciting. And so I love, love working with all the different small group leaders, and, and I'm excited about the things that are coming. So um, let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to hit this. Jared told me the first thing takes a second, so I'm going to trust him. Do it again. Jared. Do I need to use my whole hand? That bumper was pretty cool. I hadn't seen that. That was my first time watching that. I was like, oh, all right. Okay, look at that. There it is. Hey, thanks, Jared. Jared's the man. He, uh, he, he helped me get all of this set up this week. So, man, I'm excited. Um, I love this series, Running with the Giants. This will be, I think, the third time that we've done this series at our church. Uh, and every time I've gotten to jump in and pick a character, and, and we're basically going to, each week we're going to walk through a giant in the faith, sort of a hero in the faith, somebody in the Bible who did something courageous, awesome for God in their lifetime. The first time we did this, I actually got the series wrong, and I remember at the time this movie, Jack the Giant Slayer, had came out, and I, I sent some clips to Michael. I was like, we could build a, a bumper with this, like this kid like fighting and killing giants, and Michael's like, no, 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 I don't think you understand what the series is about. Um, we, don't, we don't want to kill giants. They're the giants of the faith that like did good things. I was like, oh, right, and they're already dead, so I get it. Like we don't want to, um, but, but it, it's about them running with us. So with that said, we'll go to the first verse here. Oh, no, sorry, there's an announcement first. We already hit this. Sorry, it's been a little while since I've been up here, guys. So uh, March 29th, a month from today, we are going to three services, and this is really exciting. So we'll keep the 8.30 and the 10, but we'll add an 11.30. This is going to be awesome. Our church has been growing, particularly our, our, our kids' areas have been getting really full. So having three services is going to give more breathing room for that, allow more kids, more families to come in and hear about Jesus and get plugged in and find community and find friends, and we're so excited about this. Uh, I would say, if you've been here a while and you're not yet on the Dream Team, man, this is a great month to join. It's a great month to go through Life Track. Uh, during the during the services, and it's a great month to plug in and figure out where you can serve and where you can go. And so I would encourage you to do that because as we move to three services, man, we'll have more opportunities to serve, more opportunities in the kids' areas and in tech arts and hospitality. All the different areas will we'll have more opportunity to serve, and we would love for you to plug in during this month. With that said, let's go to the opening verse of this. There we go, Hebrews 12. So to set this up, if you go back, what I'm hoping... Today in this message and in all the messages, I'm hoping to basically just whet your appetite for the Bible, that you would want to go back and read more and fill in gaps and understand more about what we're talking about each week. So I'll start right here. Hebrews 12, the best way to understand Hebrews 12 is to read Hebrews 11. Uh, and, and we're not going to read all of Hebrews 11, so I would encourage you this week to go back and read it. What it is, uh, in most Bibles there's a little title there that will say something like Hall of Faith. And, and so what it is, it's a list of characters from the Old Testament that did great things in their lifetime for God and got to see God work uh, in a lot of different ways. And so it's really, really cool chapter to read. It's really inspiring. One thing I'll call out is that 
when you read about these characters, it, it points out in Hebrews 11 that some of them got to see God do what he promised in their lifetime, and others didn't. Others were faithfully serving God, and they died before they got to see the promises God gave them fulfilled. And so I think that's important to keep in mind as we walk through these characters and as we talk about what we can learn from them and how we can be inspired is that, that some things that God has called you to do or, or some things that God will lead you to do, you may get to see that go to completion. And other things, you may not see the effect that it had until the other side of eternity and when you're looking back. And so I, I love to keep that in mind so that all of life, when I have rough times, when I have disappointments, that they don't have to feel overwhelming because I know there's more coming. So, uh, so with that said, I would encourage you to go read Hebrews 11. But after talking about all these characters and all the great things they did, we get to Hebrews 12, and he opens with this. Therefore, we, that's you and me, also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all the people he just talked about, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let me pray real quick. Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for a chance to dive into your word. God, I thank you for a chance to read about all these people that did amazing things, Lord, that, that, that trusted you and had faith in you and, and got to see you work in their lifetime. Lord, I pray that we would learn from them and draw inspiration from them as we serve you and as we chase after you throughout our life, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so I love this passage. One of the reasons I love it is it compares our walk with Christ, our, our life of faith, to a race. And I think it's a really great comparison. And it's not a race where you finish first or second or third or, or, or anything like that. That's not the point of this race. Really, there's only two measurements for this race, and it's if you finish or if you don't finish. Do you keep going with Jesus or do you give up? That's really the only measurement in this race. It's not a race uh, w where somebody is the winner. It's just a race where we finish or we don't with Jesus. Uh, the Bible praises endurance, the idea that we would just keep walking with Jesus no matter what we go through. The Bible says that is great, that it is awesome. And Jesus actually summed this idea up really well in one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Uh, in Matthew 24, he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I love this passage because it's so simple. Um, I grew up in church and so I, I, I love talking about the Bible. I love hearing sermons, one of the things that I hear discussed a lot over my lifetime is people get in this debate about like, well, if somebody was serving God for a while and then they're not anymore, like what, what are they? Are they a Christian? Are they not a Christian? Did they lose it? Did they not lose? And, and while that might be a great theological debate to have and there's tons of books on it and tons of discussion about it, I love that Jesus just keeps it really simple. Like, hey, the one who endures to the end will be saved. He doesn't really get in the weeds. He doesn't like have this deep argument. He says, hey, you know who's saved? The one who endures to the end. The one who keeps going. That's who's saved. The one who just keeps following after Jesus no matter the, what. The one who just keeps going will be saved. And when he, when he says saved, he means spending forever with God. That's what he's talking about there. And so I love this. And, and, and so I was thinking just for a second as, as I was coming on stage today, I wonder how many people we have here in the room who have just been running with Jesus for a while. So I just thought I would ask this. How many people have been serving God for, let's say, 10 years, like a decade? Is there anybody here? All right, I'm seeing a couple hands. I'm hoping there's more than that. All right, yes. All right, the rest of you, if not, that's great. We're, we're glad you're here. How about like 20 years? Is there anybody serving Jesus 20 years? I know my parents are going to raise their hand a bunch. Uh, 30 years? Anybody 30 years? I'll, I'll, I'll like kind of put my hand up, right? I was, I was like five, six, you know, 30 years ago, and I was going to church, and, and, I, and if you'd asked me that, I would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, how about like, let's just go 50 years. Any, anybody serving Jesus 50 years? My mom. All right. So uh, that's exciting. Can we just actually, can, can we give a hand for all the people that have been actually walking with Jesus? That's exciting. That's really cool. 
and I don't think we think about that enough, right? Because we're, we're drawn to the entertainment value. We're drawn to the thing that's sort of um, uh, w- will excite us, that would make a great movie or a great story. So we want the person who has the coolest testimony, you know, like, I used to be a drug dealer and I used to be a terrorist or I used to be whatever. And, and, and like sometimes we forget that actually the Bible really praises those who just keep going, no matter how boring or exciting their testimony is. Like you may not be, you may not have the most exciting life, uh, but if you're walking with Jesus, that's exciting. That alone is exciting. That is good. And as a church, we should be praising that and, and honoring that because we should be continuing to walk with Jesus and continue to endure and go after him. So in Hebrews, it says that our, our, our walk of faith is like a race. And so I was thinking, man, when you race, there's challenges. I was thinking about this because over the years, leading small groups here, we've had a bunch of running small groups. I don't know if anyone's been in any of those. Um, they tend to have the cheesiest names, right? They tend to have the, the worst names. Um, we had one a few years ago. What was it called? Let me think for a second. It was called uh, Run and Not Grow Weary. Uh, it was, it's from a verse in Isaiah that's not actually about literal running. But um, I thought it was hilarious. And so that was one. Uh, and, and then this semester, I think we have the best uh, running group name yet. Uh, it's, it's led by my friend Whitney down here. I can't see her, but I keep hearing her laugh. And... Um, and so she started a trail running group called Run Forest Run, where they run through the forest. And uh, I, I was, Whitney's full of dad jokes whenever she uh, signs up for small groups and fills out the application. It's always like some kind of quirky, like weird joke. Uh, under the section in the application she had to fill out where we said, do you have any resources or curriculum that uh, you want us to know about that you're using? She said, running shoes. And I was like, that's not what I meant, Whitney, but cool. Um, but when you're running, for those of, uh, who have run any kind of race or done any sort of endurance event, there's this thing that you can hit kind of in the middle or near the end. It's different for every person. But it, you hit this thing where you want to stop. And most people would say it's mental or emotional. Uh, but you hit this and you want to stop. Does anybody know the name for that? I heard somebody say in the back, it's the wall. I'm surprised Whitney didn't yell it out. I, it, when, when you're racing, particularly like marathons and longer r- runs, which I have not done, uh, People say you hit this thing called the wall. It's where you just feel like you can't go anymore, and you want to give up, and you want to stop. Um, and so I was thinking about this. The closest thing I've done to a race is uh, one time, like four years ago, four years ago, yeah, four years ago, I competed in a, like a little local CrossFit competition, right? I only did one, and then I got injured shortly after, which if you know anything about CrossFit, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I, I did one competition, and during that, somebody got a picture of me hitting the wall. So I thought I would show you guys that. All right, so this is me on a rower, and that's me biting my lip and about to pass out, literally about to pass out. I got off of this rower, and, like, the whole room got dark, and, like, my vision got really small, and I started seeing stars. And, uh, and the next event, the girl behind me had to do because I was just, like, stumbling around. I had hit the wall, right? I wanted to give up. I won't keep that up there very long. We'll, we'll go back. We'll, uh, let me go back one. All right, we'll just leave that verse up there for a minute. But my favorite wall story, I, I have a favorite wall story. So uh, my favorite story about this is my best friend Malachi, who uh, you guys don't know him. He lives out in California. But if you meet my son Malachi, I named him after my best friend Malachi. He was supposed to do the same for me, but then he married a woman who didn't like the name Joel. So I'm not bitter at Michelle, but uh, if you guys see her, you can make fun of her for that. You won't. She lives in California, so I'm not worried about it. But... Uh, I, I kept my word, and I named my son Malachi, and, and I like that name. And um, He's my best friend, and uh, when we were in our early 20s, he was joining the Navy, 
and he was living in Missouri at the time. It was the middle of winter, and he had to go to the recruiter's office to do his test out. And uh, if you are familiar with the military or if you were in the military, you know about these. You had to go do a physical test out uh, several times before you actually join so that you were ready, I guess, for boot camp. And so he shows up at his recruiter's office, and his recruiter isn't there, but another one is. And he says, no, no, no worries, I'll come back another day and do it. And he goes, no, 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 come with me, man. Me and I, I got these other guys I'm taking out. Uh, you can just test out with them. So Malachi goes with them. The problem is uh, the guys that he was taking to test out were going directly into the Navy SEALs, um, not the Navy. So if you know anything about the Navy SEALs, like these guys were in really good shape already, like, like far and above any normal human. Um, and Malachi was not trying to join the Navy SEALs. He was not at that level by any means. So he goes and he does the push-ups and pull-ups and, and sit-ups, and he's just struggling behind them the whole time. And then they get to the track, and they have to run. I think it's two miles. So they're running, they're running, and um, they lap him, and they lap him again, and, and they lap him again. And eventually they finish, and he's just still out there on the track running. Uh, and, 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 and they're cheering from the sidelines, like, you got this, man, you can do it. And all of a sudden, Malachi stops in the middle of the track and just, just vomits everywhere, right? Just everything he's eating is coming up, and, and he's just vomiting. But the one thing about my, my buddy Malachi that I love is he has endurance. He will not stop, even when he should stop. Uh, and so he just starts running again. And uh, at this point, one of the Navy SEALs runs out and, and starts running backwards next to him. And like, you got this, man. And, and like, if you've ever been running and someone's running backwards next to you encouraging you, it's, it's like half encouraging and half demoralizing, right? You're like, oh. This guy, oh man. So Malachi finishes and they all come around him. They're like, you got, you're great, man. Everyone's first test out sucks. Everyone's first test out is awful. And he's like, I know my first one was awful, but this is my fourth. And uh, so I, that's a, like, my favorite story about someone hitting a wall is Malachi hit that wall and he kept going. And so as I thought about this concept of, of the race of faith and us, uh, us continuing to pursue Jesus no matter what, I thought of one Bible character uh, and his name is Joseph. And it's not Joseph. Jesus' dad. It's Joseph in the Old Testament who uh, is the son of Jacob. Jacob is the guy that actually Michael preached on last week about the scattering and gathering of stones. And so I want to go uh, to a passage where we'll meet Joseph. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to tell you Joseph's story today. Uh, a lot of times in church what we do is we go to the Bible and we present some points because we want to try to keep it concise and help you remember things. So we say, hey, here's this story and here's five points from it or here's three points from it. And that's great. Uh, when I read the Bible, a lot of times I think that way. Like, what's the takeaway from this? However, I think what we actually remember more are stories. And, and I know this because if I asked you to, like, quote a teacher or a lesson or a TED Talk you heard five years ago or ten years ago, you probably couldn't do it. But if I ask you to tell me the plot line of a movie that you watched 20 years ago, I guarantee most of you could, right? Or, or your favorite book that you read in high school. I could, my daughter can tell me the plot of every Harry Potter book, right? Uh, and they're like this big, right? But if I ask her to remember like a point from a lesson or a talk I gave her, not going to happen, right? She's not going to remember that, but she is going to remember stories. We remember stories. They stick with us. Um, and I think this is why we see even Jesus, when he preaches, he often just preaches in stories. He called them parables, but he would tell parables, and sometimes he wouldn't even explain them. Like, he would just tell them, and then he'd walk away, and that would be it. And the reason I know that is because then his disciples, we see it in the Gospels, they would come up and be like, Jesus, what did that mean? We don't understand. And he would be like, okay, all right, sit down, let me tell you. And he would explain the story. But stories stick with us. And so what I'd like to do today is walk you through the story of Joseph. 
We don't have time to go to every verse and every section. So again, I'd love for you to, starting around ver, uh, chapters 37, 38, you start to meet Joseph. Uh, go read it. It, it. Joseph's story starts in late 30s. It goes all the way to Genesis 50, the end of the book. He becomes sort of the focus of the story at that point because of how important he is and because of his faithfulness to God. And one of the things that you need to know about Joseph as we get to this first section, is that his dad, Jacob, was a really not a great dad. He, did a, he had made a lot of mistakes over the years with his kids. He had a lot of kids, first of all. So at this point in the story, Joseph is number 11. Uh, he goes on to have a 12th. Um, and Joseph is his favorite. He loves Joseph more than any of them. And if you're, if you're a parent, you know this is a bad idea. It, this is terrible. You can't have a favorite. I had to tell my parents this all the time as a kid. I was like, guys, I know, but like Jordan and Perry, James, you got to love them too. They're, they're great kids. Um, no, but if you, if you had siblings and your parents favored one of them over you, you can, you can understand you'd begin to resent them. You'd begin to hate them. And that's what Joseph's brothers did. They hated him. They hated him a lot. And his dad didn't help the situation. He gave him a coat at one point that was beautiful and had all these colors just to make him stand out more. They hated him more. And then Joseph didn't help it because he kept having these dreams from God about what God wanted him to do with his life and what the future looked like. And in that future, his brothers were bowing down to him. And so these brothers that hate him, he would go share this with them. Like, hey, good news, guys, I had this dream. You guys were bowing down to me and worshiping me. And they're like, we hate you. <laughs> like, you are the worst. What is wrong? Like, they hated him, right? And so we need to understand that as we get to this first section here, his brothers are out being shepherds. They're out in the wilderness. Uh, and Jacob, because he's not a great dad, is like, hey, you should go out in the wilderness and check on your brothers who hate you. Um, you can just see, like, this isn't going to go well for Joseph. And he's like, oh, wear this, wear this beautiful robe out in the wilderness. I'm sure his brothers were not wearing beautiful robes. And they're probably like, why isn't Joseph out here helping us with this, right? So Joseph, he goes to check on them. Um, this is not the right verse at all. Hey, uh, Jared, if not, I know where it is. I thought we were a little far along. Let me, uh, all right, guys. Let me just grab my, bi uh, my phone. I'm not going to make you guys keep looking at that. Um, actually, I have my notes right here. So I t this is my, uh, I told Jared, I was like, I'm going to have my notes as a backup in case anything goes wrong. And now, I have them. All right, so Genesis 37 is where we're going to start, actually. Uh, so Joseph's going down to check on his brothers, and this is what he says. He says, here comes the dreamer, they said. That's his brothers talking. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns or pits. A cistern is just a pit. I'll use pit from now on when they say that. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. So Reuben's the good brother, right? He says, let's not kill him. Great idea, Reuben. Uh, why should we shed any blood? Another valid point, Reuben. Um, let's throw him into this empty pit here in the wilderness. That doesn't sound great. Uh, then, we'll, then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. No, so, no, Reuben, this is a bad plan now. And then it says right after that, Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. We're going to keep going, but I want to pause there before we get to, to see what happened and just say that, like, if God calls you to do something and it's the right thing and, and it requires you to stand up for somebody or something and do something publicly or be embarrassed and you decide to try to go sort of a backdoor approach to it and you think, man, if I can just do this without anybody finding out I did it, that's probably going to go poorly, right? There's, there's times that God calls us to actually stand up for our faith or for others or for justice, and if we try to do it in a way where it causes the least amount of embarrassment to ourselves, 
it's normally not going to go well. And so we'll see that happen with Reuben. He thinks he's being creative here and going to save his brother, but he's not. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe that he was wearing. And then they grabbed him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Do you guys think maybe Joseph's starting to hit a wall here? Like maybe the dreams God gave him, he's starting to like reconsider those. Like, should I have shared that? Is this right? Like, I'm in a pit now in the wilderness and I've been stripped down and I don't know what's, like, he, he's probably assuming I'm probably going to die here or my brothers are going to do something terrible to me. Um, so again, Reuben thinks, okay, I'm going to save him later. But if we skip ahead a few verses, this is what happens. So the Ishmaelites in verse 28, who were Midianite traders, came by. Joseph's brothers pulled them out of the pit and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. So this is bad, guys. This is really bad. Oh, look at that. They got it up here. This is awesome. Uh, this is really bad. So Joseph, first person in the Bible, at least that we know of, uh, that has experienced human trafficking. They, they, he's been sold into slavery uh, to the Egyptians. And so he went from being his dad's favorite probably kind of cushy, right? He's not out in the wilderness. We know he's not doing the shepherding, uh, having this awesome robe, and now he's been stripped down and he's been sold into slavery. Th this is really rough. Th this has got to be just crushing for Joseph. And so as we walk through this, there's really only one thing that I think Joseph would say. If he could come alongside us, right, in our race of faith, as we're running after Jesus, if he could come alongside us, if he could be that Navy guy running backwards trying to encourage us, I think there's one message he would Give us, and you're going to see this play out in his life, not only here, but as we go forward. And this is the message that he would say. He would say, don't give up. Because what we're going to see as we continue through his story is that Joseph didn't give up. He continued to be faithful. And maybe you've experienced some hurt like this, right? Like maybe you've had family that have betrayed you or done mean things or horrible things or abusive things to you. And you think, there's no way that I could ever reconcile with them. There's no way there could ever be forgiveness. Uh, Joseph would say, don't give up. Because what we're going to see in Joseph's lifetime is that there will be forgiveness and there will be reconciliation with these people who wanted to kill him and sold him into slavery. And so Joseph's story continues, though. It doesn't stop with just getting sold into slavery. You would think, man, this might be the end. Like, how is he ever going to be in a position where his brothers are bowing down to him or he's leading or doing these great things for God if he's a slave? Like, that doesn't make sense. Well, what happens next is he gets sold to a guy named Potiphar. So now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, so he's like a government guy, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Man, I love this. So Joseph, everywhere he goes, this is what's going to happen. He's going to be faithful in following after God, and God's going to be faithful to, to escalate him and, and, and bring him to the top of wherever he's at. So, so he was at the top of his family, right, and then he gets sold into slavery. Now he's the, like the top slave. What a weird position, right? Like, hey, you're the best slave. Like, this is not something that anybody would want, right? But Joseph's there, and now, now he's basically running Potiphar's, Potiphar's house. He's running all of it, his budget, his groceries, whatever. Like, he, he's doing all of it. He's running the household thing. 
And so this probably in his race of, of life feels like a breather. Feels like maybe a downhill moment where he's catching a little bit of wind and he's feeling good. But we're going to see this isn't the last wall that Joseph hit. The, the, the pit and getting sold into slavery, not the last wall. He might be thinking here like, oh, this is what God wanted, right? Now I'm in this important position. I'm over all of this big household. Maybe God's going to work his plan here. God wasn't done yet, and this wasn't the last wall that Joseph was going to hit. Because while Potiphar took notice of Joseph because he was a hard worker and God had favor on him, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph for a different reason. Um, and so we continue on. It says this. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. So this is bad, right? This is, this is really bad. Um, Joseph probably thought, man, I'm in a good spot. This is probably where God wants me. And now this is going to mess things up. Because what's going to happen is she goes to her husband, and she goes to all of the other servants in the house, and she says, this guy came in and tried to rape me, right? She, she falsely accuses him of something that he was actually trying actively to avoid, uh, but she accuses him anyway. And what we're going to see is that this is going to ruin Joseph's life. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and, he, uh, and there he remained. So man, th this is rough. This is not a good part of Joseph's life. This is yet another wall that he has hit. He went from being his dad's favorite to being a slave to being the best slave to now being accused of rape, and he's in jail. And man, I, I, I reflect on this because I was thinking, man, like, I've seen situations play like this in real life. I know this is a, a Bible story, and sometimes it's hard to relate. Like, man, that was a long time ago. But man, I know people whose reputations were ruined by lies. And, and maybe you. May, maybe you've had that, or you have people close to you, people that have lost jobs, people that have lost relationships because of a lie. And, and later, often it came out that it was a lie, and, and, and things were revealed on what actually happened, but it doesn't matter. People's reputations are ruined. It's hard to gain that back. I think it's uh, Mark Twain who says that, the, that a lie can travel around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on, right? And, and, and I think about this, like Joseph was lied about and his reputation is ruined and now he's sitting in jail and he has to be feeling something like, man, but what we're going to see in Joseph's story is that even in that wall, if that's you, if you've been lied about, if you've had your reputation ruined, if you've lost jobs or things like that because of situations similar to this, this is what Joseph would say. This is going to be shocking. Don't give up. Right? This is my only point today. I, I wanted to, to, to say that up front and I forgot. My only point today is that Joseph would say don't give up. No matter what we're going through, that's going to be his message to us. So Joseph uh, goes to prison and we think, okay, so is that the end? Well, we're going to see that the same story is going to play out in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison. Like, no matter where you're at today, God's with you. And I, and I love reading it. God's with him in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. So first he was his dad's favorite. Then he was Potiphar's favorite. Now he's the prison warden's favorite. Like, this is such a weird story to me. Because I'm like, nobody wants to be the best prisoner, right? Like, that's not, none of us grow up thinking, oh, I want to just be the best prisoner one day. But Joseph was like, you know what? What else am I going to do? I'm in prison. 
I'm, I'm going to be the best here too. And so he's faithful and he serves the Lord and the prison warden's like, I'll give him responsibilities. I'll let him oversee much of the prison. So everywhere Joseph goes, because he's faithful to God, because he keeps holding on to God's promises, he rises to the top. And it's no different when he's sitting in prison. Oh, there's one more verse here. Then the warden uh, had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. And the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Because he was faithful, the Lord continued to show him favor, continued to show him honor every situation he's in. So, this might feel like a good moment for Joseph. But he's got to know this can't be it, right? Nobody's going to bow down to him as the top prisoner. Like the promises and the dreams that God gave him not going to happen while he's in prison. Uh, So he's still holding on to God's promises And what we'll see next is that he actually makes friends with a couple people in prison. He makes friends, uh, before we go to this next verse, he makes friends with the cupbearer and the baker. And you're like, well, what what are those jobs? They're they're two of the coolest jobs in the ancient world, in my opinion. The baker is just baking bread and, like, giving it to Pharaoh. That's it. But he's in prison. Why? We don't know. My guess, maybe Pharaoh was, like, trying low-carb diet for a while, and he's like, no, you're going to jail. I'm done with you. I don't want the temptation. So he puts him in jail. Um, that's, that's me reading back into the story. Uh, but, but so the baker's in jail. And then the cupbearer. The cupbearer is the coolest job. All that the guy has to do all day is taste wine and give it to Pharaoh. That's it. Just drink wine. Yep, it's good. You should drink it. Uh, that's his whole job. I don't know why he's in jail. I don't know if, like, he brought in one that the Pharaoh didn't like. And or who knows. But that's his whole job. What a cool job. Go home at the end of the day, relaxed. Go to sleep. Come back and do it the next day. The cupbearer and, and the baker are in jail with Joseph, and Joseph becomes friends with them. And here's why I know they're friends, is because they come to Joseph one day and say, hey, we had these dreams, and we'd like to share them with you and see if you have any idea what they mean. That, to me, shows they're friends, because most guys do not want to share their dreams with other guys, period. Like, it's just not going to happen. Most guys don't want anybody to share their dreams with them. Like, I don't know, for, for the married men in the room, like, when your wife wakes you up and wants to tell you a dream she had, even then you're uncomfortable. You're like, where is this going? Like, how engaged do I need to be? Um, and you try to wrap it up with a, like, that's crazy. Uh, but it doesn't always work. And, like, she's still talking, and you're like, I just want to go back to bed. Um, Joseph's friends come to him, and they're like, we want to share our dreams with you. And Joseph listens to them. So to me, I'm like, he must be friends with these guys because he didn't just shut them down like, no, weirdos, I don't want to know your dreams. Uh, and, and so basically he interprets their dreams. And he says, hey, Baker, uh, unfortunately your dream means you're going to die. Um, which, man, what a rough thing to tell a friend of yours. Uh, and then the cupbearer, he's like, and it means you're going to get your job back. And so, uh, let's go, keep going. Don't give up. Probably should have said that again. All right, so, uh, he, he, Pharaoh, then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position. So he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, uh, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph and never giving him another thought. One of the things I forgot to mention is when he was talking to the cupbearer, the only thing he said after interpreting his dream was, hey, don't forget me when you go and you're back with Pharaoh. And what's the first thing he does? He forgets him. (laughs) And and, and so I was thinking about this. Man, like, I don't know if you've ever had this situation where you've been forgotten. You've been left out. Maybe you had a group of friends and just one day you realize you're not in that group of friends anymore. Uh, you had someone that cared for you and then you just look around and you're like, they're not in my life anymore. I think all of us have experienced those moments where we're lonely, where we're depressed, where it feels like there's no one around us. And again, if Joseph could talk to us, I think he would say, don't give up. 
He would say, keep going. Because now what we have is Joseph is still sitting in prison, and his friends are gone. Uh, he's still the top prisoner from what we know. Like, there's nothing that derails the story here and says Joseph got, you know, real emo and, like, stayed off to himself and, you know, got demoted. No, like, he, he continues to stay consistent. He stays faithful to God, uh, and, he, and he keeps pushing. And what happens next, uh, I, I'm going to summarize because there's a bunch. There's about two chapters worth of stuff that happens next. Eventually, the Pharaoh starts having weird dreams. And when the Pharaoh has weird dreams, he tries to get all these people to interpret them, and nobody can. Uh, and, and then the cupbearer remembers his promise. Like, oh, yeah, I told Joseph I wouldn't forget about him. And I did. And so, uh, so he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, hey, um, actually, there's this guy who interprets dreams, and he's really accurate. I'm back here, and he said I would be, and the, the baker, uh, he got killed, remember? And, and so the Pharaoh brings Joseph in. And he tells them his dreams, and it's, it's to do with, like, fat cows and skinny cows and cows eating cows and a bunch of weird cow things. Um, again, I just want you to read the story. I'm not going to explain that. Just go read about the cows and the cows eating cows. It's a fun story. So he tells Joseph the dream, and Joseph goes, oh, yeah, th this is what it means. It means that we're going to have famine. We're going to run out of food. We're going we're gonna to not have rain. It's going to be terrible. You need a plan. And then Joseph lays a plan out. He's like, you need to store grain. You need to build silos. You need and the Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he's just like, you know what, why don't you do all that? You'll be my second in command. You'll be my VP. You'll be my vice pharaoh. And you can run the land, and I'll just be pharaoh up here, and you can, you can take care of all this so we don't have this famine. So Joseph does that. And something I, I didn't get to put on the screen, but something that I thought was really important or significant. Um, so when Joseph uh, is betrayed by his brothers, they rip his robe off, and they tear it, and they cover it in blood, and they, they show their dad, like, oh, we think he got killed out in the wilderness. And when, when Joseph's fired from uh, Potiphar's house when he's sent to jail is because the wife ripped the cloak off and she's like, look, he did this thing. So every time Joseph has these trials, people are ripping his clothes off. And then when Pharaoh promotes him and makes him kind of head of Egypt, there's this whole passage about how he puts clothes on him, how he takes these royal robes and he, and he puts them on and he puts jewelry on him and he puts uh, all, all the things of a, of a royal person on. And I thought that was so interesting to me. So I, I love when the Bible has these little things you pick up and you're like, whoa, what's going on there? Like, the very thing that kept causing shame for Joseph, every time he went through something, people were ripping his clothes away. Then God escalates him to a place where the clothes he's wearing in Pharaoh's house are worth far and above anything else he had ever worn in his whole life, right? And so maybe you're going through something where you've lost significantly, and what you'll see is that often when God fulfills his promises, he does more than that old thing that you lost. And it's amazing. And so in Joseph's life, that happens. And so now Joseph is running Egypt, and this is where we'll tie back in with his brothers. And again, I would encourage you to go read this. It's such a great story. But his brothers, they live in a country near Egypt. And they start having this famine. They start running out of food. And so they come uh, to Egypt to buy food. And Joseph sees them. And they don't recognize Joseph at all. It's been probably a couple of decades. He's a full-grown man. He's not a teenager anymore. He's dressed in royal clothes. And he, and he recognizes them. He's like, oh, these are my brothers, right? And not all of them come, but most of them come. I think all but one come. And, and, and they say, we're here to buy food. And so they buy the food. Like grain, they fill up their sacks with, with, with food. And the next chapter or two, Joseph basically just messes with his brothers, which I love. Um, so he tells his servant, he's like, hey, before they leave, I want you to sneak and I want you to put the money back in all their bags. And then he's like, okay. So he does that. They get home and they're terrified. They're like, oh no, that, 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 that vice pharaoh guy, he's going to think that we stole the money and stole the food and he's going to come find us and kill us. Eventually they run out of food. And, and they were, they had to go back again, and this time they bring their other brother along as well. And he does the same thing. He gives them the food. He puts the money in the bags. And now he hides one of his cups in the bags. I guess it was significant at that point. And then he catches up along the way with them, 
and accuses them of theft, so they have to come back to the palace. All of this, to me, just sounds like something brothers would do, right? He's like, I'm going to forgive them, but first, like, I'm going to mess with them a little bit, right? I'm just going to, like, I'm going to make them a little scared, and then I'm going to forgive them. Um, and, and so they come back, and they are repenting. They don't know it's Joseph. And at one point, Joseph, it says, has to go out into the other room, the side room, and he just weeps because he's like, they don't, they don't know it's me, right? Like, they, they have no idea. Um, and he comes back, and he says, guys, it's me, Joseph. And he takes his, his stuff off to make, make them, help them see that it's him. Um, this doesn't make them less scared, right? <laughs> They're still terrified. But here they are fulfilling the dream that he had. They're bowing down before him and repenting. And, and, and saying how sorry they are. And Joseph basically says, get up, you know, you're forgiven, it's okay, how's dad, can we bring him here? Uh, and, and eventually they go get their father and the whole family moves to Egypt. And it, and it plays out where God, uh, the Pharaoh gives them a chunk of land and their family flourishes and grows because Joseph didn't give up, because he kept going, right? And, and, and there's this point where their father passes away a few years later, they've been living in the land together and Joseph's, like, good with his brothers. He's like, this is great. Like, he's not bitter. It, every account we have in Genesis is that he has forgiven them and that they're living in peace. When the dad dies, the brothers get nervous. They're like, oh, now he's going to kill us, right? Like, now he's going to kill us because dad's gone. That must be what it was. He was waiting until dad died. Now he's going to kill us. So they come again and bow before him and repent. And they're like, please, you know, whatever we have to do, just don't kill us and our families. And Joseph, um, this, is, this is, like, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Joseph looks at them, and we get to see a bit of Joseph's perspective. He forgives them, and he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And man, what a perspective to have, right? That everything you go through, all the hard times, all the suffering, all the betrayals, all the lies, all the gossip, all the crap that you go through in life, that you would look at it and go, you know what? God will use that for good in my life. Joseph's like, you got, this wasn't you guys. Yeah, you threw me in the pit and sold me into slavery, sure, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, Potiphar's wife lied about me, and yeah, I went through, but you know who was in charge of my life that whole time? It wasn't you guys, you guys don't have that power. God has that power. God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly where I needed to be, and he knew the path that was gonna get me here. And he intended all of it for good. And so, man, if we could take that into our life, if we could look at all the suffering, all the things that are going on in our life and go, you know what, God, God intends to use this for good. He will use this for good. And, and in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul sums this same truth up when he's looking back at all that God has already done and that now what God has done through Jesus. This is what Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, and we know that all things, not some things, not the good things, not the church things, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I love that. When I'm going through rough times, when I'm, when I'm facing challenges, when I have failures, when I thought something was going to work out and it doesn't work out, I come back to this. I come back to this because this is, oh man, this, this is what I can hold on to in those moments. Right, when I'm suffering, when I've had something hard happen, I know it's working for my good, that God is actually in charge, that he's actually God, that he actually knows what's going on, not just today, but tomorrow, right? And he's working it for my good. So I've been saying this whole time, don't give up, right? And maybe you're in a season where you feel like giving up, don't give up, like keep going. And I know that that's, that's easy to say, right? So how do we do that? Like, the one point today is don't give up, but I want to give you just a one, one practical how. Like, what is it we're supposed to do on a regular basis so we don't give up? 
And I think if we go back to Hebrews 12, we started with the verse one where it talks about the race and that we would endure and that we would run that race with endurance. And in verse two, it tells us how. It says this, looking unto Jesus. That's it, guys, looking unto Jesus. Like, we will endure if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we keep looking at him. But I want to read the rest of this. The author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one who started your faith, and he's the one who will bring it to the end of your life. Not you, not how hard you can work, not how much you can strive, but trusting and looking at Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This verse really got to me this week as I was preparing and thinking about it. Just, just something came out of my mind as I was reading this and studying and meditating on it that I hadn't thought about before. It, th- this verse has two different uh, parties that are looking at something, that are looking forward to something. One is us. We're looking unto Jesus, right? If we want to endure, if we want to persevere, if we want to hold on, we have to look to Jesus. What does that look like? That, that's just going to him daily. This can be very simple. This is not complicated. This looks like for me, on the way to work, a lot of times I'll just put on some worship music or no music and just talk to God. Maybe for five minutes, maybe for 20 minutes. It really depends on how fast 95 is that day. Um, but I'll just talk to God, Right? And just trying at the beginning of the day for me to set my mind on Jesus for a little bit. Now, yes, reading the Bible, you need to do that as well. Coming to church, all these different ways help you look at Jesus. But I would encourage you to start, if you haven't yet, start just daily having a few minutes of talking to God. Just start there if you haven't. Look to Jesus. But who else is looking in this passage? Jesus. It says that when Jesus endured the cross, right, where, what was he thinking about? What was he looking toward? It said it was the joy that was set before him. I'm like, well, what is that joy? What, is, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? And this is what got to me, is that joy was that he was going to redeem mankind. That joy was that sinners like myself and like you, he was going to save them. And so I, I started thinking like, man, as Jesus was going to the cross, he was thinking about me and he was thinking about you and he was thinking about all of the people that don't know him, that would know him because of his sacrifice on the cross, because of his death and resurrection. How amazing is that? That, that, that it was us, right? Not that we were motivating, we were sinners, we were helpless, but that's what Jesus was looking to. Those people are going to know me because of what I'm about to do. And he kept pushing and he endured the worst suffering possible so that we could be part of his family. And now in return, when we're suffering, we look to him. I was like, man, this was just just blowing my mind this week. I'm like, that is so crazy. Like that that I would be a joy to Jesus, right? That that I would be what he's looking at. I'm gonna save Joel. I'm gonna save him. With what I'm doing right now, he's gonna come to know me and he's gonna be part of my family. And that's what he's done for each and every one of us. And now we get to look to him when we face trials and suffering. All right, so I want to wrap up here. So um, if you guys can just bow your heads. We do this every week. But man, maybe you've never looked to Jesus, right? Maybe you aren't serving God at all. If that's you, I'm, I'm stoked that you're here. I'm so thrilled that you came and that you could hear this message. But, but the first step of, of endurance on this race that we call faith is that you have to know Jesus, all right? And so if that's you um, and you want to know Jesus starting today, you want to start walking with him, you want to look unto him, um, I I just want you to throw your hand up. We're going to pray a really simple prayer. And uh, and, and the way we're going to do this, um, 
the way I, I like to do this is just, you just need to talk to Jesus right now on your own. I'm, this particular week, I'm not going to make everyone pray along, but just right there in your seat, what I would tell you to do is just use your own words, but say to, say to Jesus, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to be part of your family. I want to make you the God of my life. Come into my heart and make me new. Right? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, that you'll be saved. And then uh, the other people I want to pray for is like, if you're in a season right now, it doesn't have to be exactly like Joseph, but if you're in a season where you feel like you're kind of at a wall, at an impasse, where you feel like, man, I don't feel like I can keep going, um, and, and everything in me really does want to give up, um, if that's you and you, you just want some prayer, um, if you can just throw your hand up, I'm going to take a minute and pray for anybody in our church who's feeling like that. Like you just feel like giving up today, uh, maybe like a season that Joseph was in. All right, so there's, there's hands up. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Um, and then we're, we're going to worship God together one more time. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for our church. I thank you for the family here, God. Lord, that we can come together, we can worship you, we can honor you, and we can study your word. Uh, Lord, and I thank you. I thank you for the message that we can see from Joseph's life. That if he could come alongside us today, he would say, don't give up. Just keep going. God, and I thank you that the way we do that is by looking at you. And so, Lord, I pray for, for my brothers and sisters here in this room, and I pray that they would have that endurance. They would have that ability to look unto you, the author and finisher of their faith. And whatever trial they're facing, whatever, whatever hard time they're going through, Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind the verses and, and the sections of Scripture that we talked about today and others, Lord, that they would remember that you are working all things for their good because they love you. God, that what the enemy, what the world, what, what other people may have intended for harm and evil, you will use for good. God, I pray that that, that that would come up in our hearts constantly, Lord, and we would remember that. And that we would take that hope into the world around us and share that joy and that hope with those in our life. God, we love you so much. And I just pray that you would be with everyone this week as they go about their daily life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, amen. guys. Amen. Amen. Let's give a hand there. How about for Pastor Joel this morning? Yeah, that's my boy. A couple of quick things before we go. Uh, if you made a decision for Christ this morning, we'd like to know about that. Uh, and a few other things. There is a connection card either in front of you on the seat, if you're on the front row, it's right there. This thing does a lot of miraculous things for us. First of all, if you did make a decision for Christ, if you could fill this out, put the little check there. No, we're not going to bombard you or show up dancing on your front lawn or anything like that. But we just want to help you with this journey that you're beginning today. Uh, it also can let us know if you have prayer requests, and we do pray over these. Uh, maybe you're facing something that you really need prayer for. This is a way to let us know that you need prayer. And uh, it, it also tells us a little bit about you. If you want to get involved in small groups, you can fill that out. There's a lot of information. It is very, very helpful to us so that we can effectively also minister to you and minister to one another. So fill that out. You can drop it in one of the receptacles, not the round ones with the hole in the top, but the slide thing there. Uh, you could drop that off in the, uh, in the lobby out there. So please make sure you fill one of these out. And uh, before we go, we just want to pray a blessing over you. Would you stand with us? Thank you so much.
good looking crowd this morning. All of you. This is the best looking church I've ever been a part of. Everybody here. So it, it's so good. But I just want to pray a prayer of blessing. And after that, we're going to worship one more time before we get out of here uh, this morning. And we just want to praise God. And thank God for that word. Don't give up. Amen. Don't give up. God has a Joseph moment for you where God's going to bring you through those things you're going through. Father God, I just thank you this morning that you not only uh, tell us not to give up and you give us examples, but you walk with us like that coach that Joel talked about that's just running all along with us saying, keep going, don't give up, don't give up. So Father, I just pray a blessing over those this morning that have been struggling in that area. I, I pray blessings in their lives that everywhere they turn, they'll find encouragement, God. Give them a good week this week. All of us, Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. All right, put a smile on your face. Let's worship one more time.